this morning's passage is from Ephesians 6 and verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in our Bible passage uh, this morning that Katrina just read, Paul, the author of uh, this letter to the Ephesian church, the early Christians, is continuing to speak to them about the importance of relationships as the context for the mission of the church. And Paul is talking here all about rights and responsibilities, rights and responsibilities. As Christians, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you and I have rights as children of God. By dying in our place on the cross, he has made it possible for us to know God's love deeply, to receive our inheritance as his sons and daughters, to receive an inheritance of grace and forgiveness, of new life now and eternal life in the future as well. That's what it means to be a child of God. And we also know that God will never stop loving us as we've just been singing there. Uh, We have this free gift that we've received through Jesus. But because of his immense love for each of us and his compassion for us, even though we have rights as children of God, we also have responsibilities. We have responsibilities uh, to live out our relationships in a Christ-like way. And by doing so, others may come to know Jesus for themselves. They too may become sons and daughters of our living God. And so Paul was speaking uh, to Christians uh, in a society and a culture which had a strictly ordered uh, place. Everybody had their place in society. Uh, So fathers, husbands, masters, all had had all the rights, but very few responsibilities, okay? Men had all the rights, but very few responsibilities. And in this culture, wives, children, and slaves had none of the rights, but much of the responsibility. So in this culture, uh, men were generally the boss. Well, they were virtually always the boss. Uh, The wife was the man's possession and could be treated in any way uh, that the husband wished. Uh, They could divorce wives at a whim with absolutely no reason given. Uh, Divorce was just a free reign thing in those times. Uh, And children had little status as well. Uh, In Greek and Roman and Hebrew society, a man could generally treat his children as he wished. Uh, And this was most shockingly seen in the way that unwanted or disabled or deformed babies were literally just taken out of a village or city and left on a hill to die of exposure or to be eaten by wild animals. And also, fathers had the right to kill their children at any time, uh, and this was completely tolerated in that society of the time. Alongside this, slavery was the norm. Um, There were over 60 million slaves across the Roman world at this point. And these slaves had zero rights. They had no rights whatsoever. And in many cases were treated horrendously, not in all cases, because some were were part of the family in some ways. 
but slaves, despite having no rights, had a huge amount of responsibility to make society function. Uh, for people at that time, imagining a society without slaves would be, as one commentator puts it, be a bit like us imagining life without electricity. Slaves had become so vital to the normal functioning of society at the time. And so here is Paul speaking into this culture, to early Christians, and saying that in Christ there is a new order of relationships. The old has gone and the new has come. And he's saying you might be living in a Roman Ephesus in AD 70 or something, but you're part of God's kingdom. And in God's kingdom, even slaves and children and wives had rights. Because of Jesus' blood shed on the cross for each person, whatever their status in the society at the time, whether they were a Jew or a Gentile, whether they were a slave or free, whether they were male or female, whether they were a child or an adult, you all have value. You all have rights and responsibilities because we are all one in Christ Jesus and as sons and daughters of God. And these radical, Christ-centered, love-centered relationships should still be evident in Jesus, in our society, in our Jesus kingdom on earth today. So we're just going to explore what that looks like a little bit this morning. Uh, firstly, uh, a, a quick story I came across this week. Uh, a Christian father got back from work and he went upstairs and he was walking past his uh, teenage son's bedroom and he, he sort of walked past and then sort of did a double take and looked in the door and he couldn't believe what he saw. The bed was made, the room was perfectly tidy and, and he was so gobsmacked he walked into the room and on the bed there was a letter and it just said to dad. On the, on the envelope of the letter. And so he sat down on his son's bed, opened the letter and began to read. And this is what he read. Dear Dad, it is with great regret that I am writing to you. I have run away with my girlfriend because I want to avoid a scene with you and mum. I know that you don't like the fact that Samantha is an atheist and 15 years older than me, but I guess you just can't help who you fall in love with. I love her skinhead, all her tattoos and all her body piercings over her whole body. Since she became pregnant, we've grown even closer. And I know we will be happy living together in the commune. <coughs> it's not that gobsmacking, I'm just joking. <coughs> we want more children together, although it's pretty crowded with her three other children from previous relationships. Samantha has taught me that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone, and we will be growing a bit to sell so that we can have enough money to live. Don't worry, Dad. I'm sure we will be back someday so that you and Mum can get to know your grandchildren. Your loving son, Ben. P.S. None of the above is true. I'm over at our neighbour's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than a bad school report, which you'll find in my desk drawer. <laughs> I love you. Call me when it's safe to come home. <laughs> parenting and children. Hmm. So let's unpack this passage a little bit more. So Paul is speaking uh, to parents and to children, and he speaks to children first of all. Now remember that in this society, children had no rights whatsoever. Uh, and Jesus had already challenged this immensely by giving children a clear status, a clear place in God's kingdom. He says this in Mark 10 verse 14. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, 
For to such belongs the kingdom of God. This was radical, radical news in that society. And then Paul is saying here in Ephesians, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Now remember too that the context of what Paul is writing here is still under the instruction that we looked at a few weeks ago in Ephesians 5.21, which says this, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And this is exactly what children are being told to do here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is righteous. Diakios, I can't speak in Greek, but that's what the word is. And it means obey your parents because it is, it is right with God. It is right with God. This is how things are meant to be. This is how family and society works best. Because whether your children like it or not, as parents, we are generally a little bit more experienced and a little bit wiser than they are. But let's look uh, briefly here at what Paul says to parents as well, because he says a little bit later, parents don't exasperate your children. So when we're asking our children to obey us, we might be doing so because we know what's best for them, but are we doing it in a way which doesn't exasperate them? Are we explaining to them why we want them to obey us? So I'll give you an illustration here from my own life. My son, Zachary, some of you will know he's 13. And like many uh, 13-year-old boys, he loves to play FIFA on his Xbox. And it's really tricky often to get him off the Xbox, even though we do have rules about how long he's allowed on it. So the conversation might go something like this. This is me. Right, come on, it's time to get off that machine. You've had enough time. Zachary, why? I'm in the middle of a game. Me, it's time to come off. But I need eight minutes to finish. But I told you 10 minutes ago that you only had 10 minutes left on the Xbox. He carries on playing, much to my exasperation. Zachary, get off that machine. But all my friends get to play FIFA whenever they want. Why are you so mean? I'm not coming off until I've finished playing this game. Now, the conversation does, it does ha happen like that on a regular basis, let me tell you, and we are definitely not perfect parents. Um, but the conversation sometimes goes a bit better when we explain the reason why we want him to obey us in this instance. So the conversation could go something like this. Zachary, it's time to come off the Xbox. Oh, why are you so mean? My parents get to play on, my friends get to play on their Xbox as long as they want. Well, let me explain, and you can you choose any of these uh, reasons. Okay, well, let me explain why. A, we are not your friend's parents, and they might have different expectations from us. B, because we want to spend time with you, because we actually like you and want you to be part of our family. C, because you know that you're only allowed on the Xbox one hour a day, and you've already had an hour and 15 minutes. D, because we love you and we know what's best for you and we know that spending too much time on screens is not good for you. E, because there is more to life than FIFA. And F, the best one, which I've used on a regular basis, let me tell you. Because mummy read some research that if children have more than one and a half hours of screen time a day, their life expectancy is reduced by two years. <laughs> it's true, I read that. Uh, <laughs> It's a brilliant one, you can use it. I'll give you that as a gift uh, to use to your children. So it's not just about telling our children to obey us, 
because we have the rights over them. But actually our responsibility is to, um, to, to explain why, uh, the reasons why obeying us is a good thing. So children, obey your parents. And then Paul mentions the commandment to honour your parents. Now, interestingly, the Ten Commandments are often split into two sections. The first four commandments are all about loving God. So things like, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other uh, gods before me, or do not take the Lord's uh, name in vain. And then the second uh, six commandments are all about how we are to love each other. So do not commit adultery, do not steal, things like that. But interestingly, the Jews would put the fifth commandment, obey your parents. It's actually children, honor your father and mother. Uh, They've got it wrong on that nice picture I found on Google. Uh, Children, honor your father and mother. Uh, They would put that with the honoring God command, the first four commands. Uh, Why? Because honoring your parents is actually our duty to God or an expression of our love for God. And I think here there's a distinction we need to identify between the command to children to obey your parents, because that's about being obedient when you are dependent children, whereas all of us, whatever our age and stage, are called to honour our parents. That's an inclusive command for everybody, whatever our age. But as we all know, this can be hugely tough. Honouring somebody is about deliberately loving and respecting and valuing someone. And that sometimes can be really, really tough to do, can't it? If your parents are still around, what would it look like for you and for me to honor them today? And sometimes it can feel like the relationship that we have with our parents can make it really difficult to do that too. Uh, When I was 15, my dad, who at the time was quite a well-known Christian leader, ran off with my mum's best friend, completely out of the blue. We had no idea uh, that this was going on. Uh, And she also happened to be our vicar's wife. Uh, It was quite scandalous at the time. Uh, And not surprisingly, uh, he definitely fell out of favour with me, let me tell you. Uh, And I felt that there was very little for me to honour. Now, I'm absolutely positive that in this room, there are hundreds of stories of things that our parents either did to us in our childhood, or maybe 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, or last year, or last week, that have affected our ability or our desire to honor them. Whether it was a bad decision that you think that they made, or whether it was a hurtful comment, throwaway comment that they made, perhaps about you maybe abuse, maybe a damaged relationship, maybe a lack of love that you felt at some point in your life, maybe selfish behavior. Many of these things are horrendously damaging things to go through. And parents do hurt us, not because they want to always, even though that does happen, but because sometimes it's just that they're broken human beings living in a broken world, uh, the same as us. Frankly, when my dad left, Uh, And for a while afterwards, I thought he was a complete idiot, putting it mildly. Um, And so what did it mean for me at that time in my life to honor my parents? It meant supporting and loving my mum through that time. That's what honoring my mum felt like. Uh, It also meant for me learning to forgive my dad 
uh, and sometimes speaking truth to him, taking those opportunities to say uh, what I thought uh, and speak into his life. And it also meant being there for him, as difficult as that was at times. It, and it meant for me living out the fruits of the Spirit, things like patience, kindness, self-control, that one was tricky, uh, gentleness, honoring, honoring him. And honoring my dad meant not giving up on him uh, or on my relationship with him. And so now, just a few years later, um, I have a really good relationship with my dad. Even though it was really hard at that time, I'm glad that I sort of put the effort in as hard as it was to build back a relationship with him. And what about those of us who perhaps are here this morning and have no contact with our parents, or our parents have died, and there is stuff that's left undone for us? Maybe you've got hurt hovering your, around. Maybe you're sat there thinking, what right have my parents to my honor and respect? And there's no easy or pat answer to that. But I do believe that Jesus knows you. And he knows all the hurts and the joys that we carry. And he loves us. He loves you with a never-ending love. And so maybe for some of us here today uh, to experience true freedom in Christ, we might need to get to the point of being able to forgive our parents. Because forgiveness is not just uh, for the person receiving, but it's also a gift for the person that's giving as well. Forgiving somebody is restorative to your own soul. And so for some of us, today might be the day where you start on that journey of forgiveness. Maybe you just need to pray it through and pray forgiveness over that person and pray for yourself that you'd be able to forgive. For some of us, we might need to just start having counseling to get on that journey to get to the place where we can forgive. Maybe we just need to pray with somebody about it today. And so we have a responsibility to honor our parents. And then Paul uh, speaks to parents, telling us, as I've already mentioned, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So parents are meant to love and model Christ in our relationship with our children. Now, remember, this is radical for the day. The father was the patriarch of the family, uh, and it meant in many cases that he had complete autocratic authority. And even uh, he had the rights over life and death for his children. And yet here, mothers and fathers, because actually the word uh, actually in the Greek means fathers and mothers, it's an inclusive word here, are being told that they don't just have rights over their children, but also have responsibilities for their children, to honor their children, to help them to know the Lord. Uh, I was reading this week about an exasperated father who said to his teenage son, when Winston Churchill was your age, he worked hard all day and studied his books all night. And his teenage son turned to him and replied, yes. And when he was your age, he was prime minister. <laughs> Someone once said as well that parenting is 50% fear 
and 50% guilt. I sort of get that. I wonder if any other parents do as well. Uh, if I think about it too much, it's not just exasperating my children that I'm worried about. I'm petrified about the eternal damage that I'm doing to them on a daily basis. Am I showing them enough love, enough encouragement? Uh, do I have too high expectations of them? Do I have too low expectations of them? Do I get too cross? Am I too strict? Am I too laid back about things? Am I suppressing what God has made them to be in their lives? When I forget to do their bedtime prayers, uh, does that mean that actually they're going to grow up hating God? Um, do I embarrass them? I'm not really bothered about that at all, actually. <laughs> so... But we all know, don't we, the damage parents can do to children because we've seen it, as we've already talked about, we've sometimes experienced it ourselves. The psychologist John White says this, there's no pain like parental pain. Why is that? I think it's because there's no love like parental love. And one massive comfort to those of us who are parents or take on a parental role, maybe as a godparent, an auntie or an uncle, as a grandparent, in some way, is that God knows what this parental pain feels like. Because all through history, his children, whom he loves with a perfect love, unlike the love that we have for our own children, who has a perfect love, an everlasting love, We've disappointed him or hurt him or ignored him or turned our backs on him. And yet, he carries on loving and forgiving and loving and forgiving and loving and forgiving and welcoming home. And so Paul goes on to tell Christian parents to bring up their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And that literally means to nourish and feed them spiritually and emotionally. That's what the, the phrase means, that we're to nourish and feed the children that we parent in some way, spiritually and emotionally. Paul, thousands of years before child psychology had ever been invented, was telling parents that children are fragile and require tenderness and security and love. He was instructing Christian parents to love and nourish and invest emotionally and spiritually in our children, but also to help our children develop in their own personal relationship with Christ too. And that takes time and effort, doesn't it? But as we, we experience the love and the transformation of God in our lives, we can be demonstrating and living out that love to the children that we look after our children, grandchildren, godchildren, nieces, nephews, allowing them to blossom and flourish in our love and in the love of Christ Jesus, allowing our children to become themselves, to become the person that God has created them to be, not over, overly structuring or organizing or mollycoddling their lives. Just because we love something doesn't mean that our children are going to love it too. It's a lesson to learn, isn't it? It doesn't always mean that the things that we love are going to be right for our children. But also love the, loving them means disciplining as well. A discipline not motivated by anger, but by love for our children. And one of the main gifts that we can give our children as parents or godparents or grandparents or whatever is to pray for them. Many of you uh, will know the author and speaker, Rob Parsons. He was actually speaking in Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago. And he wrote uh, a book with the great title, Getting Your Kids Through Church Without Them Hating God. And he talks about, in that book, about how we need to be praying for our children, about all the regular things in daily life and in their lives, 
but also we need to be praying that they would get through life without hating God and actually come out knowing God personally for themselves as well. And that's a responsibility that we all have for the children in our families, maybe the children next door, the children that you teach at your school if you're a teacher as well. So in God's kingdom, parenting is just not just about rights over our children, but about the responsibilities that we have been given to love and to serve them, to forgive and guide and honor them as Christ has loved and served and forgiven us in our lives. So Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection and through the work of the Holy Spirit today in each of our lives, continues to challenge and restore relationships in so many spheres of life. First and foremost, he has given us a right to be called children of God, to live every day in his love and in relationship with him. But he's also given us responsibility over others to live out that love that we have received in our world, in his world, and in our relationships today. 